Good evening, everybody. Pleasure, pleasure to be with you. Enjoyed my day in Nottingham and uh, looking forward to uh, speaking with you this evening. Um, I've been really inspired, have you? Just by the incredible stories of what ordinary people are doing for our extraordinary God. And uh, as you've heard, there's a whole range of different ways that you can get involved, uh, whether that's just opening your home uh, on a temporary basis, uh, whether it's going to support others in their homes, uh, or whether it's welcoming a vulnerable child into your home to live with you. And um, I'm going to tell you a, a, a few stories. We're going to open up the Bible a little bit together, and then I have a little challenge for you. Okay? That's the plan. All right, imagine it's 5.45 on a Friday evening, and the phone rings. And caller ID says it's social services. And you think, hang on, 5.45, Friday evening, that is a dangerous time to answer the phone to social services. But that doesn't stop my wife. My wife says, hello, how can we help you? And they say, well, Miriam, Krish, we know you've already got a couple of placements with you, but is there any chance you could take another child? Now, I know my wife has already said yes in her head. But I'm a little bit more cautious, and I just want some intel. Okay, what can you tell us about this child? To which they say, can't tell you much. All we can tell you is, he's a biter. That is totally not what you want to hear. Biter. What is he going to bite? If he bites stuff, I can kind of cope with that. Because my furniture has all sorts of teeth marks on it from our cat. But if he bites people, that's going to be more of a problem. Because I've got to keep my kids safe, haven't I? And where has this child been? And is he going to bring something unhelpful into my house? Is he going to be a danger? But then the Christian part of my brain kicks in. And I think, hang on, biter. That is an inadequate description of a human person, isn't it? You and I, we are more than the worst thing we've ever done. And actually, we're more than the worst thing that's ever been done to us. When God looks at us, he doesn't just see the stuff that we've messed up. He sees someone of value dignity, and of worth. Basic Christian theology says to you that every single human being is made in the image of God and therefore is valuable to him and should be valuable to us. Now, before I finish processing this, my wife has said yes. So in he comes into our lives. This boy was three years old. And he'd had eight different families already. He had speech delay, so is there any reason to not understand why he might bite just to let the world know that he's here and that he matters? This boy turned our lives upside down. He bit loads of stuff, mostly sausages, but no people. It was an absolute pleasure to have him in our lives. Why do I tell you about one little boy? You've heard that Nottingham has over 600 children uh, in foster care in this city alone, and you're not a big city. 
In fact, you can multiply Nottingham's challenge to every city across the UK. I don't know a city or a town or a council that isn't looking to have more foster families. But most of us are thinking these kids are going to be a problem and a danger, and therefore I need to keep them away from my family. We live in a culture that says an Englishman's home is his castle. We're becoming a little bit more nervous about outsiders. The conversation about immigration is on the increase, isn't it? We're becoming, as a nation, a hostile environment. But that is not a Christian way of looking at our world, is it? You see, an Englishman's home may be his castle, but a Christian's home is God's hospital. It's where the word hospitality comes from. It's where the the lonely and the lost and the broken and the neglected can find help and healing. As Steve said at the beginning, we've had that. You know, the Christian story is all about God adopting us. What did Jesus say before he went to the cross? Uh, In my Father's house are many rooms. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. God wants to welcome you home despite all the messed up stuff that you and I have got ourselves into. We are culpable while all these children in the care system aren't. They're victims. And God still welcomes us home. We've been radically shown hospitality and now isn't the most normal thing in the world that we pass that on. I want to show you from a Bible passage, and we could have picked any. Steve did an amazing Bible overview in five minutes. Round of applause. We didn't applaud that man. I've got to know Steve uh, over dinner. He paid for dinner, so he's modelling this hospitality stuff. And uh, look, I love that in Nottingham, we're, we're bringing the churches together, right? doesn't matter if Steve's an Anglican. <laughs> and I'm a Baptist. We've found common cause, haven't we? There's something we can do to bless this city. The city's asking for our help. We've been commanded in Jeremiah to seek the welfare of the city, right? And Jeremiah was told to do that while his people were enslaved in Babylon. They were still supposed to seek the welfare of the city. So often the church is moaning. Oh, it's not a Christian nation anymore. We've been marginalized, been pushed to the edges. No, we're not. You've just had the council invite you to help them. That's not marginalization. That's an invitation. Going to step up? Could look to any Bible passage. I'm going to pick one that Steve didn't look at. I know there aren't many left. <laughs> Psalm 68. I'll go, go back. Is, well, no, that's all right. Psalm 68. If you've got crazy, brilliant eyesight, you can probably read it on the screen. Or if you're old like me, you might want, to, might want to look it up. This is a psalm that the people of Israel used to recite every time they moved the Ark of the Covenant. Let me read it to you. Verse 1. May God arise. May his enemies be scattered. May his foes flee before him. May you blow them away like smoke. As wax melts before the fire, may the wicked perish before God. But may may the righteous be glad and rejoice before God. May they be happy and joyful. Pause a minute. This is probably not the kind of Bible passage you want to stick on a t-shirt so far. I've not seen many of those fridge magnets with... May the wicked perish before God. It's not, it's not one of those kind of home run kind of passages. It's probably why Steve chose not to talk about it. 
But look, this is a passage they would read when the Ark of the Covenant got moved. Now, I'm old school, right? I can't think about the Ark of the Covenant without thinking about Indiana Jones. And I'm thinking about the best Indiana Jones movie there's ever been. Wait, I know I've got a mixed audience. Some people are very young here. Just, just check, you've heard of Indiana Jones? The best Indiana Jones movie was Raiders of the Lost Ark. Easily, by a country mile. And I, I freaked out about um, Raiders of the Lost Ark. It just didn't seem fair that, you know, after playing the coolest person in the universe, Han Solo, the same actor got to play the coolest person on Earth. I mean, that's just not right, is it? A man who by day was an archaeologist and by night was an adventurer. It's brilliant. Love it. Love the idea. And, you know, you, you know who the actor was? Harrison Ford, or as he's known in Norway, Harrison Fjord. <laughs> and you know the concept of the movie? Easy one, isn't it? The Nazis have been reading the Bible. And they've figured out that the Ark of the Covenant is the ultimate weapon of mass destruction. If they could get the Ark of the Covenant and stick it in front of one of their tanks, then they would win the war. Now, the Nazis obviously haven't read all of the Bible, but that's their concept. Now, the good news is Indiana Jones is one step ahead of the Nazis. He's tracked down using a crystal on a stick in Legoland uh, where the Ark of the Covenant is hidden. And, and it's hidden somewhere in Egypt, isn't it? And, and, and he goes down into a pit of snakes and he finds the Ark of the Covenant. Now, the problem is, Indiana Jones is only one step ahead of the Nazis. They've been following him. And when Indiana Jones finds the Ark of the Covenant, the Nazis find the Ark of the Covenant. There's one fan theory that says Indiana Jones shouldn't have bothered trying to find the Ark because then the Nazis wouldn't have found it. But it wouldn't have been such a cool film. <laughs> so the Nazis leave Indiana Jones with the snakes in this pit they take the Ark of the Covenant and they put it in a crate, a wooden crate. And on the outside of the crate are Nazi swastikas. Do you remember? And then they take the crate with the Nazi swastikas on and they put it in a U-boat, a submarine. And then that submarine somehow gets from Egypt to like the Galapagos Islands. I'm not quite sure of the route, but that's what they did. Now... It's about, I don't know, a six-week journey, but it only takes 10 seconds in the movie. And for the whole of this journey, this submarine stays on the surface, which is really handy, because Indiana Jones is hanging on the outside of the submarine. And I know he's a superhero, but holding his breath for six weeks would have been complicated. They get to the Galapagos Islands, and they take... The crate's out of the submarine and something weird has happened. Do you remember? What's happened? The nasty, the nasty, nasty swastikas have been burnt off of the crate, haven't they? Do you know why that's happened? That has happened because Steven Spielberg and George Lucas have been reading the Bible. And they realize that God doesn't fit into crates. 
He doesn't belong to the Nazis. You know what? He doesn't even belong to the Allies. He doesn't belong to the Democrats, and he doesn't belong uh, to the Republicans. He doesn't belong to Remainers, and he doesn't belong to, to Brexiteers. God is God overall. In fact, he might have been reading Psalm 68. Have a look. Sing to God, verse 4. Sing in praise of his name. Extol him who rides on the clouds. That's a weird thing to sing when you're talking about moving a golden crate that's supposed to have the presence of God in it. But the crate was never supposed to contain God. The Ark of the Covenant was just a symbol of the presence of God. And it wasn't magic. That's because even if you had the Ark of the Covenant in front of your armies, it didn't guarantee you victory. Time and time again, Israel tried to go out and do bad stuff with the Ark of the Covenant, and they lost the war. Because God rides on the clouds. He doesn't belong to Israel. He doesn't belong to us. He's not on our side in every fight that we have. If you notice, when we go to war, God's always on our side. That's not true. God's the God that rides on the clouds. Now, this majestic picture of God that you've got in Psalm 68, can you think of something more beautiful? The God who's above it all, reigning over everything sovereignly. What does God do with all of that power? Next verse. A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. That's, that's weird, isn't it? That's a bit of a gear shift. Wait, I thought you were the God that rides on the clouds. You're majestic. You're, you're bigger than any army. You're, you're undefeatable, unstoppable, relentless. Why do you pay so much attention to the fatherless and the widow? Look, if I wanted to impress you, I might name drop someone famous that I met on Friday. I was running a birthday party uh, for eight-year-old children. In fact, 20 eight-year-old children. And we were in a sports hall in Aylesbury, the home of the Paralympic Games, in fact. And um, the BBC are filming in this sports hall, on the other side. And they came over and they said, do you think you could keep it really quiet? And I'm going, I've got 20 <laughs> eight-year-old children, many with special needs. Keeping it quiet is a little bit of an ask. And they said, just for seven minutes. I said, okay, I'll do my best. But here's the deal. If we keep it quiet for seven minutes, would you let your presenter come and say hello to the kids? I managed to make them quiet for seven minutes. I should have just played Sleeping Lions. That would have worked, wouldn't it? Instead, I'd just gotten to take their shoes off and bounce a basketball slowly. And, and then we did it. We cracked it. And guess who turns up in all the photos? Claire Balding. Claire Balding photobombed my kids' party. I'm a total hero in our school now. All the photos of the party are just awesome. And the kids are blown away because Claire wrote the uh, World Book Day book this year. And so they love it. Brilliant. So they go, if I want to impress you, I will tell you that I met and hung out with Claire Balding. When God wants to name drop somebody, who does he name drop? God name drops the fatherless and the widow. Because God doesn't need to impress you. God doesn't have to uh, bask in the glory of someone else's importance. That's not how our God works. God, over and over in the Old Testament and in the New Testament too, keeps name-dropping three people, three groups of people that he's always listening to. 
the fatherless, the widow, and the stranger. Why does God listen so attentively to those three groups of people? Why are they top of his priority list? Because I thought I was old school and believed that God loved the world. Surely God wouldn't have favorites. Well, imagine. Imagine that you were walking down the road and you see there's been a car accident. And there are multiple casualties in the car accident. Uh, a person... Uh, who might be a member of parliament for the Conservative Party, he was drive, well, being driven around in their chauffeur-driven limousine, and uh, they were involved in the car accident, and, and the airbag's gone off, and they've, they've got a runny nose. Uh, meanwhile, a homeless person is on the ground, and they're bleeding out because one of their arteries has been cut. And, and the, the paramedics turn up on this scene. Who do they treat first? doesn't matter that it's a wealthy Tory MP, does it? It's who's most vulnerable gets seen first. When God triages the world, he says, I'm going to pay particular attention to the widow, the orphan, and the stranger. Because that's the kind of God I am. I'm, I'm for the vulnerable. I'll look out for them because no one else is. I'm on their side. Now, being a Christian means that God's priorities become our priorities. It's what it means to follow Jesus as Lord. It's what it means to be godly. Godly is an adjective, isn't it? You are like God, not in your superpowers, but in your personality, in your character. So if God cares about the orphan and the widow, guess what? We must. Now, I meet a lot of guys that tell me, oh, Chris. All this, all this fostering and adoption stuff, not sure it's for me. In fact, it's a little bit effeminate. I've got two problems with that. Number one, what's wrong with something being feminine? Number two, what are you saying about God? I mean, other guys that say, well, and I'm picking on guys because normally at an event like this, women will come up to me and say, I'm totally all in. It's my husband that isn't. My partner, there isn't. And, and, and the guys say, well, I'm not sure I could love a child that I'm not biologically connected with. And I'm saying, hang on, just check for a minute. Your definition of love and my de definition of love is the same. Do you love your wife? Yes. Are you biologically related to your wife? <laughs> no. Even worse. Do you have a dog? Yes. Pray God you are not biologically connected to your dog. <laughs> Love doesn't work like that, does it? Don't be stupid. Of course you can love someone that you don't have a biological connection with. Of course you can. Or oh, someone said it in the video. Chris, Chris, oh, we'd love to foster children, but I just think we'd love them too much to give them up. I'm going, hang on. Let's just, just check. You and me got the same definition of love again, right? So you would love these children so much that because you might get hurt, you've decided not to get involved in their lives at all. That's not called love. That's called self-protection. Let's, let's redefine what you mean by love. Sometimes when I'm in a bad mood, you, you, you need to see me in a bad mood. 
Actually, you don't need to see me in a bad mood. That would be good. I'm thinking, what, what are you saying about me? You think you love these children more than I do because I'm willing to get them involved in my life. That's nuts. Every time a child moves on, it's like your heart's being ripped out of you. But it's worth it because these kids need us. They need us to form attachments, as the video said. They need us to love them. And if we don't, what's going to happen? They lose that ability. And that's a life skill that's very hard to go through life without. Making meaningful, trusting relationships. So let's be the adults. Let's step up and be what these kids need us to be. A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. Wait, they're lonely because they're not in a family. So whose family is God going to set the lonely in? I love that prayer. God, am I supposed to be one of the hundred? Is my family one of the families you're going to set the lonely in? And it could be through a whole range of different ways we've talked about this evening, or it could be through fostering an adoption. You need to hear this. We don't need every Christian in Nottingham to adopt or foster children. That's not the need. There are more than 600 Christians in Nottingham, aren't there? 100 homes because there's at least 100 churches. We need one new person to step forward or family to step forward per church, the rest of the church to wrap around them, and we do it. That is doable. Let's show the city what the church is about. That is not an impossible ask. It's possible, friends. All right, I've, I've, you up for one last story? And then my, I've got a call to action. All right, so this little boy, the biter, was the most beautiful, wonderful boy you can imagine. And he, he came into our lives and he just brought joy. I, I want to be honest with you, that's not always true with foster children. Foster children have experienced, most of the time, severe neglect, violence, and sexual abuse. That means they bring trauma. And it's not their fault. We've got to be the grown-ups. We're going to take the hit for them. But this little boy was a complete joy. And I had been coming home from work on the train, and I'd left my phone on the train. And some nice person at the next station hands it in to the station controller, who was just normally sized. And sorry, it's Thomas the Tank Engine joke. If you didn't get out, okay. <laughs> and handed it in, and they'd phoned my wife, and they said, "Could you please come pick up this phone?" So this little three-year-old and me decide this is going to be a trip. And as far as we knew, he's never been on a train. So we have stood on the station platform behind the yellow line, all safely done, and his hand is in mine, and he's like. Full of energy, he can't stop. And I'm saying, look, just stand still, stand still. And he's just full of it, full of it. And the train doors open. And like this is like he's going on another planet. In he goes. And I've got to be honest, he did everything wrong. <laughs> he stood on the seats. Now, I know that is a cardinal sin, isn't it? He stood on the seats. He had his nose pressed against the window. And he shouted everything he could see. Bus, tree, car, sheep, bridge, faster, faster, faster! And I am in hysterics, right? I can't keep it in. I'm laughing. This is like the 415 from Haddenham and Tame Parkway to Bista North, right? And it's come from Marleybourne. So there are people who've got the evening standard in their nice suits. 
And, and they are killing themselves with laughter too. It's only an 11-minute journey. Right? If it had been coming all the way up here, that would have been a different thing, right? 11 minutes, they could cope with a kid freaking out. And I'll tell you what, I am so excited. Because remember, this is the biter boy. This is the boy with the speech impediment that can't talk properly and therefore he bites to let the world know he's here. And he's shouting his head off and his eyes are as wide as saucers. He's full of joy. And I'm thinking, look, look, I know there's ongoing trauma in his life, but look, even in this short time he's been with us, we're seeing him flourish. We're, we're seeing him shine. We're seeing him become the person that he was born to be. And it's beautiful. And I want to sing. I do. I want to sing. Because I'm remembering Zephaniah 3, where it says, God rejoices over us with singing. Why does God rejoice over you with singing? Because he remembers what you were. You were a vulnerable, broken person, but through his grace, he's redeeming you. You're not perfect. You've still got ongoing stuff in your life, but he can see change, and so God rejoices over you. I want to sing, but I'm British. So I just smile and nod meaningfully. <laughs> Friends, it is a joy to be able to pour grace and love and mercy into these kids' lives. I know you're supposed to feel close to God when we sing and we read the Bible, but I'm having a God moment on the 1615 from Haddenham and Tame Parkway to Bister North because our God is a God who is a father to the fatherless and a protector of widows and orphans. And when we get in that flow of grace from God to these kids, that's where joy is found. That's where you find a sense of vocation. We are in a former job center. How about that? Could it be that in this text, in this moment with these stories, God has got a call on your life for how your life can bring joy and peace and grace to those that need it most? Could that be true? We'd love it. We'd love to help you. There are people that would cheer you on. The council are here. They're easy to spot. Grey suits, okay? <laughs> Me too. I'm, I'm, I'm going undercover. They'd love to talk to you. If you want to ask questions, Home for Good would like to talk to you. Kirsty and I will be over here on the stand. All the other stands would like to talk to you too. One last thing, and I hate to tell you this. So in the overview that you had from Steve in five minutes, he did a really good pricey of my book, God is Stranger. If you need a little bit longer to unpack this radical hospitality theme, this book will do it for you, okay? And I've poured my heart and soul in it because it's got... The best stories from people around the world of how they've done this. And if you need more processing time, maybe this book can help you. Now, I want to sell you this book, but Home for Good want to give it to you away for free. That's what annoys me. <laughs> so if you want this book for free, you just need to become a regular donor. We're a crazy small charity with a crazy big vision. Because we'd love it if every child in Nottingham had a Home for Good. But our job's bigger than that. I want every child in the UK to have a home for good. Whether that's in England, Wales, Scotland, or Northern Ireland, I want all of those kids home. And I want your help to do it. Because nationally, the numbers work too. Of churches like yours and mine, there's about 15,000. We don't need every Christian to adopt 10 kids. I did not bring my van with me. I do have a van. But one family per church across the UK fostering and adopting. And we've done it. 
we've met the current need. Game changer for the kids. Game changer for us in our relationship with God. Game changer for our nation because they see the gospel lived out with radical hospitality. Thanks for listening.